What's up, dog lovers? What's up, duck dog enthusiasts? Yukanuba. That's who's empowering us today on the Fat Life Podcast, Yukanuba's Duck Dog Series, where we talk about these badass animals, these badass best friends, these badass machines. They can do it all. I absolutely love what we have going on with trainers and kennels across the country. And a lot of that's because of Yukonuba, the culture of Yukonuba. They came into this space with one mission to supply and provide a dialed in perfected diet that will do a lot of things for our dogs, enhance their life, empower their lives, lengthen their lives, give them more energy, more muscle, give them better tendons, better ligaments, everything that you need to rely on your lab, your retriever. If you're an upland hunter, you might have a different variety of pointer, but everything you need to make sure that that dog, he or she is safe in the field on a daily basis, hunt by hunt. There's a lot that goes into raising a perfect duck dog, and there might not be such thing as a perfect duck dog, but this diet is perfect. It's proven. There's trainers and breeders and kennels and hunters feeding Yukonuba the work, the sport, all of the different blends and recipes to their dogs, house dogs, pets, soccer mom dogs, poodles, you name it. And then you have hunters that are feeding it to all of our duck dogs, our upland dogs, our retrievers. And uh, I can't say enough about it. Today's episode is uh, about dogs. It's about dog training. It's about focus on what it takes to reach that end game that's going to give you the ability to enjoy every part of the hunt and life span that you spend with your dog. Again, no matter what breed it is. Andrew from Wild Acre Kennels is back with us. What's up, my man? How's it going today? Did everything I just said make sense? Did we hit on all that? Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, I was huh? hoping that we would. I was hoping that we would talk about Yukonuba a little bit because uh, you know we switched over probably uh, over a hundred clients to Yukonuba now, and they sh- you should see the pictures they send me. I'm not going to say any other dog food brand names, but literally just the difference in pictures and how happy everybody is with the the diet of their dog, the better coats, the teeth. They don't have to do teeth cleaning anymore. Um, our personal dogs, I kind of want, I was going to talk to you about that. We switched uh, one of our older dogs into Yukonuba and literally night and day different. Absolutely. Best of the best on the market, hands down. What differences? Give me some details. Um, so we had, we had a client that um, she was diehard for this one food. You, there was no switch in her. And um, so it, whatever, you know, it is what it is. And uh, they got the dog home and she, nothing but they switched her back to we were feeding yukonuba here they switched her back to the the food when they got her home and literally diarrhea couldn't couldn't control the stools um the dog was i mean the coat she was shedding like none other and just absolutely nothing but problems this girl would not believe that it's the food um so she was talking to her vets and everything and everybody was saying you know try just switching the food so she called me up and she goes hey what what were you what what yukonuba what whether well, the 3020 to 2016, what were you guys feeding? And I go, well, when your dog was here, you know, we're, we are higher active. So we're going to feed the 3020. So she went out and she bought it and she sent me a picture of the food she was using and compared to Yukonuba. Literally, I knew right away which one was Yukonuba. Night and day different. The color, the texture, the 
the side, I mean, everything was night and day different within two weeks. Her dog hasn't had a runny stool. Um, the coat is right where she wants it. Her teeth are clean. This lady was just blown away. She called me and thanked me. And she said, I was a diehard for this other company. And she goes, I'll never feed that bad word again stuff. She goes, it was unbelievable. She goes, for this year of this dog's life, I fought this issue. But she goes, I never would accept that it was the dog food. I just heard great things about it. And um, but now that she's switched, she's the happiest customer in the world. And uh, she'll never have, she will feed you canuba for the rest of that dog's life. It was a pretty cool story. Um, and then our own personal dog, uh, my uh, my girlfriend moved in and she has a, a walker like a coonhound. And he had ear issues constantly his whole life. He's seven. Ear issues, um, wouldn't eat. Uh, what else was there? There's a couple other things he's been feeding ever since he moved in here. I ain't buying any other dog food, so he has to eat what we're feeding here. Um, we haven't had any ear issues. He eats two times a day, which he never has. He always ate. Um, he would eat maybe once every three days, and he was always skinny and kind of ratty. Look, they could never get weight on him. They feed him human food or whatever. Um, but now he eats two times a day, four cups of food of Yukonuba and scarves it down as soon as you give it to him. And he's been the happiest and healthiest he's ever been in the seven years she said of owning him. You talk about, you know, the, you were feeding the 30-20 when you were there um, because of the activity level that your client's dog was at, you know, going through training and conditioning and all the drills that you're putting them through on a daily basis. It's it's May now, weather's starting to warm up in that part of Minnesota. The ice is finally starting to come off some of the water. Some of your ponds are shallow. So, you know, they, they're going to stay colder for longer until there's a good warm-up. So now this is the time of the year to where you start doing what you do. What you do. This is the, you know, dog trainers are extremely busy. If you you know, some of the dog trainers from that part of the country will move south in the wintertime so they can keep their thing, their, their operation going. Wild Acre will be there soon enough. But for now, give me an idea of an active day for a dog in training. You think about the NFL or high-powered athletes, UFC fighters, the conditioning phases and training they go through, gymnasts, what they have to do before competition. Um this is boot camp for dogs, not saying it's not fun and that they don't love every minute of it, but give us an idea of the activity level and the, the energy being exerted on a daily basis at wild acre, Andrew. Yeah, absolutely. So every, every client we check in, they, that, that's the first question they ask is how much will my dog get out? Like how much exercise will it get? And our answer is right away times it by seven for what their activity level is at home. You know, every day, you know, we have, you know, obviously we have, we have 26 dogs in our kennel. That's what we hold. And when you have 26 dogs in there, they're playing with each other. We have a big fence around our kennel. So we have four times a day minimum. They're out running around, going to the bathroom, doing their thing. We call it playtime. I don't know if it's the correct word to use, but letting them kind of relax from the training. Then when we're getting into training, we're not, we're not, we're not just walking that dog. You know, when we're doing yard work or force fetching or whatever, yes, we're just walking them around. But, you know, when, when we're doing retrieving or blinds or anything like that, that dog, we're, we're expecting that dog to run at 110% all the way at that retrieve and all the way back. It, and when we're doing, you know, four, a four-man or a four-blind setup, you know, sometimes they're 300 yards just to one retrieve, and they come back, then they might do 160 yard, then they'll come back, and then we'll send them on another 280 or 300-yard blind. And so they do that, and then they get put away. We, we rest them, give them a drink. But then they're, they're repeat doing it again. And then at the end of the day, then we run them. We take them for a good long run just to 
um, burn up any extra energy, um, let them go to the bathroom, do their thing, kind of ease off for the night, and then they get fed and kind of put away. Um, so it's literally, plus that in the kennel, you know, they're active. They're jumping when it's not their turn to come out. We're letting the other ones out. They're bouncing around, jumping around like, hey, is it my turn? Is it my turn? And so they're burning up calories just in the kennel by excited to come out, you know, ready, ready for it to be their turn. And you, you've been doing this a minute, Andrew, to the point to where you can really tell the difference, like we spoke about earlier in the conversation. Um, there's no doubt that you have a partnership with Yukonuba. There's, you know, you obviously are going to get, um, you know, different pricing platforms than just going into the store and buying it. The pricing Correct, of you. Yeah. So we get, we get, um, we buy by the pallets. So when you buy it by the pallets, they give you a little bit better deal. But, you know, we're still paying, you know, that 50, 60 bucks a bag for, per, per bag on the pallet. But we're buying, you know, every month we're buying, you know, not every month, but what is it? I buy a 48, 50 bag pallet, and that's probably once every two months, I'm guessing. And I think that, you know, where I'm going with this, Andrew, is that, you know, they, there is some sticker shock to some dog foods. And Yukonuba is not an inexpensive dog food. But what I want to say is that for when you start spending $50, $55 on 40 pounds of dog food that has the effects on a dog's life, and you start thinking about all the other money that you spend on a dog bed or vet bills or supplements or a duck boat or a UTV and an ATV and maybe one vacation, whatever it is, it's nothing compared to the overall yearly cost of your dog food with the results you're going to get through the Yukonuba diet and nutrition plan. So you've seen a lot of difference. You, you alluded to that at the beginning of the conversation. You know that this food makes a difference. The price tag is not even in, it's a no brainer to buy this no. type of food. My point is though, is that even if you weren't getting that price break after you've seen the results you've seen over the last 24 months, you would feed nothing but Yukonuba, correct? No, well, hands down. Yep. If Yukonuba said, you know, Hey, we can't sell you for, for the pallet anymore. I'll be like, well, what's my new price? Keep it coming. Uh, there's yeah. I wouldn't even, wouldn't even think about shopping around because we have a lot of people that come into the kennel and they, you know, people are stickler. Their breeders said we got to feed this food. So they feed it. And, you know, you're not going to argue with those people. Um, and I had a guy come in one time, he had a, a yellow lab male and he goes, no, we got to keep it on Nutrisource. That's what the breeder said. Yada, yada, yada. That dog was pooping six times a day. So when I'm out there training, trying to run a, run a mark or run something, it's taken me longer to run that dog because it has to go to the bathroom the whole time. So finally I called the guy up and I said, Hey man, I go, I go, can I please switch your dog? I told him, I go, it's not healthy for your dog to go to the bathroom that much. A, I go, B, I go, something just isn't digesting right with this food that you're using. And finally he goes, yeah, he goes, I just want to get my dog home. You know, we're missing them. And so I switched him to that dog food. It's been a year later. Now that guy's feeding you can He goes, if the dog poops three times a day. Really? So he's regular yep. now. Yep. He's a, uh, he's a full on Yukonuba guy now. And, uh, it's, it's just crazy. Cause it's, you know, I'm not, like I said, I don't make money off of Yukonuba. I don't, you know, do anything, but it's literally, it'll change your dog's life. And the price tag, even if it's $70 a bag, there's 10 times more dog food out there. That's even more money than that for a 30 pound bag. Um, you know, from a dog of my own personal experience, uh, not even a hunting dog, this is a, a couch potato pain in my butt dog that just hangs around the house and um loafs around all day long went from eating nothing kind of spending constant money in the vet bills trying to figure out what's wrong with them 
And just by us switching the food because I was too stubborn to feed him anything else. Now that dog is eating twice a day. My, my girlfriend's literally blown away. She goes, I cannot believe it. I've spent seven years of trying nine different dog foods and she's never tried Yukonuba. And this dog has changed. No more ear problems. He's, he's maintaining his weight. Um, his stools are 100% solid, firm the way you like them. I mean, just night and day different. Did she ever say why she never tried Yukonuba with the nine foods she did try? She, um, yeah. She, so it, she just, she never really heard about it. And she was way up northern Michigan. Um, so now, obviously, all her friends and everything, you know, we're, we're passing on the word up there for them now because it's literally um, just it changed that dog's life. Um, what do you what do you see as far as the and I, and I don't you know, there's a lot of dogs that will, you know, you hear they'll they'll eat anything. But yeah. I want I watch this, the the results and they're, they're there. The details are there. The proof's in the pudding. But also the reaction when it's go time, when it's feed time. I don't, I've never seen happier dogs. I've never seen more excited dogs for a meal. A nose that doesn't come out of the bowl. You know, you've seen it in the past where they'll take a couple bites and then go run up and try to play at the kid. Or even if there's people around or even if they're by themselves, their nose does not come out of the bowl. And <laughs> they, they, have you seen the same thing? Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. The other thing, what we love about it is I've, I've fought, so I've been training dogs for 12 years now. And for nine and a half years, you know, we've had a different brand and, or yeah, eight years, but a different brand. And we constantly skinny dogs, skinny dogs, skinny dogs. Um, I'm feeding the exact same amount and I've cut that in half. I mean, well, like now we're at a quarter of our kennel. We run into some skinny problems we just put them on a multi-feeding kind of schedule to keep that weight on but these are like your pointers your short hairs the ones that are running even harder than just the other dogs in the kennel um but literally nip that in the butt by half of just keeping our weight and i'm not feeding any more food so i'm not even you know spending more money on food i'm literally feeding you know your average dog in our kennel your your 50 to 60 pound lab we're feeding four cups a day Four cups a day, and you're seeing great results in weight gain and maintenance of that. With Just keep maintaining their weight and keeping muscle uh, on too, right? Correct. Yeah, literally, you have no idea. I'm I'm calling the owners like, hey, can you come pick your dog up for the week when he needs to get rest? You know, it's getting skinny. Uh, we're trying to feed it like six times, seven times a day with the other food. You know, trying to find a balance for it, and just nothing, nothing would work. I don't even really worry about it anymore with Yukonuba. Uh, we feed 3020 here. There's the 2016 that I, I feed all of our dogs, um, in the off season when we, they're training, but you know, not as hard as, you know, our hunting season. So I feed those guys 26, 16, but all of our kennel dogs, we feed 3020. What, what's the difference in the dogs that you feed the two different types of, or the two different mixes of food to? Them are just our personal dogs or house dogs. The ones that aren't getting ran as hard as the training dogs. So in the off season, when we're not hunting and we're not, you know, traveling to go, duck hunting or whatever i feed them the 26 16 just to just so they're not getting too much intake because if you think about not, if you think about it there's two main things in a dog's life that are going to keep them living and i understand the medicine part of it that you know there are shots and we got to stay up on that but the two main things in my opinion you talk about athletes. Well, what do you got to do to become a great athlete? Well, you might have to have good genetics. Same with dogs, right? If you have good genetics, you have a little bit of an upper hand, but a dog with bad genetics or not such good genetics can become a special dog with the right type of training. Um, in some cases, besides genetics, I think that 
nutrition and safety security are the top two things, meaning you don't let them, you know, jump into jagged ice or a, a hard flowing river. You don't, you know, send them on a retrieve that could be dangerous to them in any way. You make sure that they're put up in the kennel and locked and they can't get out and get cross a road with traffic. You know, they can't do anything that's going to put them in harm's way. You're not going to put your dogs in harm's way. And then nutrition is everything to a dog. A dog's going to get up out of a deep sleep and go as hard as they can for you. That tells you that tells you that hey, it's not sleep they need because they'll go. I mean, trust me, rest is important, but they're ready to go at the drop of a dime. Food and nutrition is what's going to keep them, giving them the ability to keep that energy level and that desire to go. Right? Yeah, keep performing, hundred percent. You know, just like us. If you go two days without eating, you know, you're going to be kind of lazy or, you know, you're not going to be up to power that next day. You're not going to be able to keep swinging that hammer at that nail. If you didn't eat for two days, you're going to be weak. You're not going to feel good. Where if you ate, you know, three solid meals, good meals, the right carbs, all that stuff, you're going to feel great. And you're going to swing that hammer 10 times harder than you did on Monday. Yeah, I think it's all about intake and outtake and what you put into your body like a bank account. You can take more out or you can, you can get more out of it if you put the right things in, everything in moderation. So with the dog, that's where it becomes a no-brainer because we already have the scientific research and observation handled by Yukonuba. They've already done all the legwork. They have mastered this diet and nutrition plan and all of these recipes with the ingredients, the levels of ingredients, the proteins, the carbohydrates, and it's they've done all the work for us. All we have to do is put our dogs in a position to eat that food twice a day or depending on what your theory is. There's different theories on how many feedings per day and at what time to, to, per day and before exercise and training or after only. Um, do you hold some kibble in your hand during the hunt and give them a little bit of it, you know, to keep them going throughout the hunt? There's all kinds of different theories by different trainers or experts out there in the dog world. But one thing's for sure is that if you put the right thing into a dog's body, you're going to get a lot more out of it. And it, you've just told three or four or five stories of stools and being regular and energy levels and strength and keeping weight on and maintaining weight and strength and muscle. It all comes down to their caloric intake and their diet plan. Oh, 100%. 100%. And, and for our breeding dogs, when we were feeding the other stuff, we had to switch the moms right before they would have the puppies. We would, we would switch them to puppy food and feed them strictly puppy food. And we were actually doing it with Yukonuba. And I was talking to another breeder that uses Yukonuba, and she goes, Andrew, she goes, just feed the regular 30-20 to that mom through that the whole pregnancy. After the puppies are born, everything common practice is you switch to puppy food uh, to get more calories, more intake, stuff like that. So I did the, my la last two litters here. We fed the moms straight 30-20 through the whole thing, not the puppies, just the moms. And I couldn't believe the milk production. Seriously, like I never had a mom. The moms are sitting there and it's just they, they moved the wrong way. It squirts out a little bit. Like crazy 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 the milk production that yukonuba did and by not even switching it to the to the puppy food i gotta keep them on the regular food that they've been feeding eating their whole life or since they've switched to yukonuba yeah i mean just every aspect of the dog's life there's more value there's more enjoyment it's a better quality of life like you know our buddy brad errington he has 100 110 dogs at mossy pond right now he says every one of them are on yukonuba and every one of them are happy and yeah, that's, absolutely. that's part of, part of training is attitude. If that dog's happy, you're going to get more out of that dog just by attitude. Yeah. When I, when I send 26 dogs home, I guarantee you 20 of those people are switching 
because they look at me and they go, what do you feed? What do you recommend? Everything like this. And I, I tell them like, Hey, I don't get paid by these guys. I go, it's just proven. I go, look at the weight of your dog. Look at its coat. Uh, just the other day we sent home Jaeger. He was a, he was a mixed breed Husky, German shepherd, whatever. And the lady looks at me and she goes, I can't believe his coat. Did you give him a bath or something like today, right before we got here? And I was like, no, he got a bath, you know, probably a week or so ago. And she goes, his coat is sleek, lean. Like she was just blown away. And then she texts me when she got home. She goes, I ain't screwing around with any other food. She goes, what are you feeding? I sent her, sent her the link and everything, what we feed. And she also calls you back. She goes, hey, I'm having a little hard time finding it. I go, go to Chewy.com, get set up on the auto ship. That dog's roughly going to eat about a bag a month. And literally every month it'll be on your doorstep. You don't have to go to the store to buy it. I mean, it can't get any easier. You just yeah. Chewy.com it and get shipped right to you. You don't have to worry about it because just the other day, my brother's like, hey, man, can I run and buy a, pallet or a, a dog, bag of dog for me? We ran out. So if it wasn't for me, he would have to go to Fleet Farm or drive somewhere because he totally spaced it out and forgot to buy the dog. But where he, luckily he could just drive right to me. But anybody else, everybody that happens to have crap, we forgot we need dog food. And they're making a special trip to Fleet Farm or wherever you guys get your dog food and when they can have it shipped right to their house. Yeah, Just I mean, in today's easy. world, it's, it, it can't get any easier with, I mean, we have the same ability as humans. I mean, I wanted some soup the other day and I was on a long drive and I literally called with 30 minutes left in the drive and my food was sitting on my porch. You don't need a delivery guy. Or, you know, he they don't wait for it. They don't wait for a tip. It's all done through the account and boom, it's like we're living in a different time for sure. But let's talk about Slash. Slash is the black lab that you're training for me. You have the history. Give us a little bit of a rundown of his story, his parents, their titles, what they achieved, and what you're seeing out of our puppy Slash. He's not a puppy anymore. He's over two now, but talk to me yeah. a little bit about Slash. Slash is my buddy. He sleeps on the couch with me every single solitary night. Um, he's a little pampered. He's a little spoiled, but uh, we love him to death. Uh, Slash Slash's dad is Reno. Slash's dad is a four-time Grandmaster Hunting Champion. I do not own him. Um, and the same with Slash's mom. So they both come from high drive lines. Huge, 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 huge pedigree. Uh, Slash is, we got him running. Wait, 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 wait. Give me the mom and dad now. Just give me as much information. I want, I want to establish the genetic part of this dog. Like, how far does it go back? Do you know how far it goes back? Or do you know just mainly the genetics of the mom and dad generation? Who? So on Slash's, I know that the, the mom and dad are both four-time Grandmaster Hunting Champion. And throughout his pedigree for his ancestors, we got every single so when i'm looking for a dog or a pedigree it has to have every generation either a, the, the male or female side have to have you know at least a master hunter title in their bloodline to keep that strong pedigree growing um so everybody ancestors back um where slash's great 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 grandpa um was not great 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 grandpa was a, a four-time grandmaster hunting championship uh so that tells me that it's it's been you know how many generations and he's still performing to that high level uh slash's mom she uh i would have to look at his pedigree i have a lot of pedigrees so it's hard to remember them all but uh slash's mom uh, was a master hunter by the time she was two years old she was four years old when the fort to run her grandmaster champion and you're making me really think you have to pull up his pedigree and look for it uh but dynamite pedigree and i've had um out of slash we have two other dogs out of that same litter 
um, that other people own coning ship stuff and totally, totally, totally nice dogs. Slash is probably 58 pounds. And he hits the, I showed you that video when he was like four months old and he just die hits that water hard, like a train. And he's probably doing, we got him going probably 340 yard reach, uh, blind retrieves right now. Uh, we got some work to get to the 400 yet. He's, he's starting to pop on me. So I got to back up and rework him into it a little bit. He's just, he, when I get him up to the 300 yard, he's going into hunt mode. <laughs> what does, what does pop mean? So pop means he's, uh, so like when I'm handling, he's focused, he's going, 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 and then he kind of loses focus or he turns around and he looks like he's confused. So they're not, they're, they're, they're losing their confidence in a sense. So they'll stop, they'll turn around, they'll look at you. And we're, well, I'm telling them, no, I need you to keep going backwards. So popping means they'll stop, turn around and look at you and be waiting. They want to be waited to tell which direction to go. And Instead of just, just what I've said of me saying back, I want you to, I want you to run to Texas until I blow that whistle. I need you to keep going backwards. Because they're usually, they know that you're there. I'm picturing this. So they know that sometimes they're going to hear that whistle. So they're going to look for a hand signal. But pop, popping is a premature look for that hand signal. It's almost like they're begging for help because they think they need it when they really don't. Correct. Yeah, it's just that one. They're looking for a hand me out, I always say. So they're just like, hey, dad, tell me where to go, you know, kind of thing. Um, where it's like, no, you're, you know, I'm not around. You got to figure out on your own kind of kind of setup. So we don't want them to, to pop and turn around. We don't want to have to give them that cast if we don't have to. You know, we want to hurry up. We might have another flock of birds coming in. We need you to get out there, get that bird, and get back. Where if you're, if I have to do 500 casts to get out to the bird, that's not what we want. Um, popping. I like that. I like. I've, I've heard of it before. I like getting some education on this because when I hear popping, I automatically think of a poor handler, like I can be sometimes with everything I have going on during the hunt. Um, when you're practicing and you're out there, some guys have the tendency, some girls have the tendency to blow that whistle too fast or give them too many hand signals and not let them hunt it up fast enough. And there's a lot to be said about a good handler and popping comes down to becoming, you know, being the best handler you can be and de developing that trust and credibility in that dog and vice versa to where they'll stop looking for that handout. 100%. So like a lot of people where they fail is they don't have that confidence in that dog when they're they get frustrated so like when slash he's going out there you know 300 yards i mean he looks like an ant to me out there and when he's going out there a lot of people are blowing him up on the collar blowing the whistle or you know they're getting frustrated he's a young dog yeah he's two years old he still has a lot to learn uh so you know be patient so like right now with slash i was like okay you know he i can get him out there you know, that's not the problem, but I don't want to overhandle him. I don't want to sit there and have him rely on me to get him to every, every spot, you know, cause you know, let's say he goes hunting with you, you're filming, you, you have 900 million things going on. The last thing you need to worry about is your dog, correct? So we want to, you know, make sure that when where you're sending them, you know, yep. Slash is going on that line. You can make sure everybody's guns are loaded. You can look back slash still going. Yep. We're good. And you can keep on moving forward where if, you, if he runs out 30 yards, stops, looks at you, hey, dad, send me to where do you want me to go? Well, that just gets, you know, to be too much or you have another flock coming in. We're like, oh, crap. Now I got to get slash back where if he has a, if a crippled bird out there, you know, now that crippled bird's getting away. You got birds working. you. You kind of are in a pinch and you're going to have to go get your crippled and not be able to shoot at that flock that's coming in. 
So you, you don't, you, a lot of people get in the problem where they'll start, they'll send the dog out and then they'll stop them and then they'll handle them, handle them, handle them, which is great. You know, that, that's totally fine. But now we get out in the wild scenario or you do too much of that, that dog's going to learn from that and always just run out 20 yards, stop, look, okay, dad, where do you want me to go? Where do you want? And then people are fighting like, why can't I get my dog to keep going backwards? Because you repped out so many times on keeping them close and blowing that whistle. You know, dogs learn from failing. So if you don't, if they don't mess up, they're not going to learn. So you want to teach them like, hey, man, it's okay to screw up. I've screwed up plenty in my life. But I learned from those mistakes. Same thing with those dogs. You learn, you move them forward, you teach them how it's done, and you keep pushing them forward till they get success. And once they get that success, and once I get Slash's confidence built up, so when he's 400 yards away, he knows, okay, dad set me on this line. I got, or Andrew set me on this line. I got to keep trucking. I know it's there. He told me it's there, and I have that confidence built up. Where he's just losing that confidence in me at, after that 300 yard because he looks back and he goes, he can't even see me. You know what I mean? He, I'm blend in with the background. And I know that you hunted with the slash a little bit in, in yeah. Minnesota and Kansas this year. Were you happy? Wyoming. And Wyoming. Were you happy yeah. with him? <laughs> I got a little story. It's kind of embarrassing to be a trainer, but uh, I got to tell it because it, it's a it's a learning experience. Even though you're a trainer, you know, you're still going to have failures. So we took slash out. We were out in Wyoming. And when you're out in Wyoming, the, the cricks there, they're pretty strong current. I mean, it's only, it's not even knee high half the water. But though we had a, he had to swim a little bit through that current, and then there was an island right on the other side. I'm talking like seven yards of swimming, so it's not nothing crazy. I introduced him to the water when I got there. I let him walk around, kind of feel for it, uh, and we we got him up. And he was sitting in a mud hut next to the. We had actually heated blinds, everything. He's sitting there, and a, a Drake Mallard comes in, and we shoot it, and he has to. It's kind of sailed on the other side, so Slash swims, goes up over the line or the island swims back down and gets it on shore and he gets to the duck and he sits down and he kind of looked back like what in the heck did I just swim through? He was, he was the most confused dog. He was like, because he, he couldn't, he was getting pulled to this, you know, he was getting pulled to the right, pulled to the right. And he's trying to fight and swim. And he kind of, he sat right down next to the duck, looked at me and looked at the water and was like, what just happened? So I just, instead of yelling at him or getting mad or frustrating, uh, we actually, I'm like, everybody just start laughing and clapping your hands and slash like came out of it, picked the duck, swam back, swam back with the duck. And he retrieved, I don't know, 13 or 14 more that morning and not an issue. But a lot of people all, would have gotten all, all in, all in water. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All in that okay. Okay. In water. And, a lot of people would have uh, gotten mad and what, sorry, I, I, we're having a little bit no. of a, I think we're having a little bit of delay here. My bad, Andrew. Oh no, you're good. So a lot of people, um, you know, when they, he got across there. And he didn't pick up that duck. A lot of people would have got mad at him. Batch it up. You started screaming. I'm like, what the hell? Where I just laughed. I'm like, I just told everybody in the blind, I'm like, clap your hands, cheer him up. You know, he was just, I could just tell in the look of his eyes, he was confused. Like, what in the heck did I just go through? And uh, the other buddy that was with me, he, he used to be a trainer back in the day. And he was just laughing. He goes, this same thing happened to me with my penny dog. And this was like 12 or 13 years ago. He goes, and we all just burst out laughing, praised him up. He brought that duck back. I just tossed it out in the water again, like a retreat, like they were at home. He swam, jumped out there, picked it up, brought it back, and we never had an issue again. But he was just so confused, so lost, because he had to work through that water. He wasn't swimming at the pond at home. We don't have much current where I live, so we never, we never really experienced it. So it was kind of funny where his eyes just got huge, and, but he never gave up. He got to the duck. 
And it was just, it was one of those things I wish I would have been videotaping it because he was just confused. And he, he, he's, uh, he turned into, he's a pretty nice dog. Tell me about um, dry land. I know that you probably ran him on some dry land. Has, has I want to move it. How were, how did he do on the bigger birds and the geese? So big geese, oh yeah, he retrieves those like it's nobody's business. If uh, slash is actually funny where where we had we uh, had some ducks come in, we shot uh, two or three of them, and then we looked to our right, and we had some honkers coming. They didn't flare, which was weird. We called in the honkers and we shot the two honkers, and slash ran up, ran ran past the mallard duck, sniffed it and then seen the crippled goose running behind him. So he ran, picked up that crippled goose, came back with the goose first before that duck. So that was, I really like to see that, that he was observing, hey, we got one getting away. I need to go get that one. The ones in the decoys that are dead, I can leave here till I get that live one back. That was a live goose. So that was, I was very proud of him that he left it there, kept trucking. He was doing, he knew that he had to get that one that was getting away from us. Um, is that due because you whistle stopped him and told him to switch up on it? Or did he make that instinctually? Nope. I just, I was like, I didn't, I was, we were laughing, having a good time. I didn't, we thought that one was dead and it was laying there and all of a sudden it just kind of popped up when he was out there. And so, yeah, no, I, I just sent him on his name. It was no handling at all. I just yelled slash and I just, I was going to let him go pick up the, whatever one he wanted first. And but once, he, but, one, and, but once he has that duck in his mouth, did he drop it, then go get the goose or would that still be okay if he did that? Or he hadn't gotten to the dead duck yet. He, he was just about to put his nose to go pick up the duck, and he must have caught the goose out of the corner of his eye and then beeline for that, which, you know, in a, a perfect world training, he probably, yeah, he should have picked up the duck, brought that one back because he was about to grab it. But in my world as, um, you know, I'm just a hunter, and I love that. You're getting the one that was getting away from us. Heck That's yes. what I look for when I'm training a hunt dog. So I'm out there to get all my game, retrieve my kill. And I knew that dead duck wasn't going anywhere, and he would pick it up when he brought that goose back. So you said he weighs 56 pounds. He's just muscular as heck. He's in great shape. Um, oh, two, yeah. two years old. Might not be done growing 100%, but maybe. Um, pretty much, yeah. 50, He's pretty much grown. 56-pound lab is – they're a little bit smaller in stature. Their jaws are a little bit smaller. You, He's picking up honkers, you know, the big, the 10, 12-pounders, yeah. no problem. Oh yeah, not a problem. You know, there's times where he'll run back and, um, you know, he might run 20 yards and then set it down, readjust it in his mouth, pick up and keep on running. You know, you got to realize that bird has feathers that's inhaling in his mouth and he's running, you know, and they're huffing and puffing and they're, it's going to slip out of their mouth. I don't care how well he's trained that they're going to have to readjust it in their mouth, pick it up and they keep on as long as they, you know, we, you don't want your dog to go out there and start ripping the feathers out of the bird, obviously, but they're going to stop, readjust, and then keep on trucking back. So he'll, he'll do that every once in a while, but that's totally fine by me. You know, he's not, you know, it's, he's losing his grip. You know, so, he's running. Yeah, that's fine with that. So speaking of what you talked about before, trying to get him to that 400-yard mark on a blind, he's at about 340 right now. Um what if one of those two honkers that come in from the right didn't flare off, but you didn't shoot very well? You flare, I mean, you, you cripple one, but he goes out lung shot and dies at 350, 400 yards. Is it fair to expect a 56-pound black lab with these genetics and his training experience under you to bring back that big old goose 350, 400 yards? Or does a guy, a hunter, walk out 150 yards and cut the distance in half? How do you look at that kind of scenario? I judge it by how many birds he's retrieved to that point. 
So, you know, if, if you got in a good hunt, you had 10 guys, you shot 20, 30 birds, you just retrieved all in an hour and a half, two hours. I'm going to walk out there and help them out. You know what I mean? Because he's, you know, he's been running, retrieving, you know, busting his butt off. But if that's the only two hunters that we shot, then yeah, I would have him bring it all the way back. But I would allow him to stop readjusting in his mouth and then keep on trucking back. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Where I, 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 I kind of judge it by how, how was our morning? You know, is he... Was he balls to the walls hundred percent, you know, so you gotta, you gotta feel like you, if you go for a five mile run in the morning, you come back, you take a 20 minute break. Are you going to go for another five mile run? I know I can't, um, you know, so you kind of judge it off of that. Just like when we, we guide pheasant hunting, you know, we're, we're constantly switching those dogs out because a lab is too dumb to know when to stop. You know, if you have a good bred dog, they're going to go till they tip over. So you got to also watch like, okay, retrieve this many birds. It's, you know, even though it's 40 degrees outside or 30 degrees outside, he's still going to be huffing and puffing. Depends on how repeatedly he was retrieving. Now, if you shot 30 birds over six hours, well, then it all depends on, you know, how long, he, what was his last retrieve on that long, on when you're doing that long retreat. Because like in a training session, we do four, four blinds, roughly three, four blinds, and then we give them a break. You know, we grab another dog and let throw slash up on the trailer and let them sleep. And then we, we go again. So what if it would have been, how much energy is a dog going to exert if it's the first retrieve of the day? Because you're saying that if it's towards the end of a day of 30, 40 birds and he's a little tired, you're going to walk out there and give him the benefit of the doubt that he's done enough. We're going to cut this in half a little bit. But what if that two honk, what if that two honkers turns into 30 or 40 more mallard or honker retrieves during the day, but you just let him go full bore on the first one? That is a great point. You just blew his motor. You, 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 uh, you let him burn his, you blew his motor for the, the first bird of the retreat. Uh, you know, and you got to look at your dog. So I know slash if he retrieved 15 ducks, I knew that I could send him out and have him retrieve that, that long goose, just because I know he gets ran at least a mile a day. Uh, we have side by sides and a lot of people are against this, but we have him trained. So he'll, He'll run 30, 40 yards away from the side-by-side. -side. We, we go we go about 10 miles an hour on the side-by-side, -side, grab a beer. We, we let our dogs run in front of us, and they're having fun. So we know we run them at, at least a mile a day. So he is in shape going into this. Now, if your dog slept on the couch all summer long and is fat and out of shape, um, you haven't ran him much, then you need to start exercising and getting him in shape before you're going to be throwing them on those long especially September, early goose season, and it's 75, 80 degrees out, you need to have your dog conditioned to be able to do them kind of long retreats. You know, because if, if your dog, if it's 20 degrees out and your dog is 10 pounds overweight, you're going to really blow that dog's motor and it's going to have a hard time making that long retreat. And now he might, he might lose the interest in the drive on trying to go get that next 15 birds you just shot after that long one, just because he's not in shape. Okay, and then when you combine that theory with water hunting, swimming is completely different than running. You're um, using every muscle in swimming. Every, plus the tail is a rudder. And this is a big deal of, of another theory, what you just described, of being in shape and going into the season ready. I've experienced where I thought we were ready, but we weren't. Drop tail occurs. It's like a pulled hamstring, can't really move the tail. They can't swim. Cold water Swimmer can cause tail. swimmer's tail, drop tail. It can be caused by too much swimming when they haven't been in shape, or it can be caused by temperature of the water sometimes. Um, there's, a, there's things that we got to pay attention to 
and not just assume our dog's in shape. It's easy to only train one day a week and think, oh, that's enough. It's not. We got to make sure that we take the right preliminary time going into the season. It's not seven days. It's, you know, working into it. You know, it doesn't have to be full bore all the time, but we got to work into it to where we are getting those longer retrieves, those longer running days, higher energy days out of him or her when they get them ready for that opening day duck hunt. We don't want anything to come as a shock to them when they're used to it. And it's like riding a bicycle. They could retrieve anything under the moon. We don't want them to get injured or, you know, go through this part of where they're not in good enough shape to try to perform one of the retrieves we're asking them to perform. Correct. You got to have your dog in shape. That's you're, you're a, a bad handler. If you don't, you know, you cannot have your dog be fat, lazy all summer long, and then take it out hunting and expect it to be, you know, because then, then what happens is then you get flustered and mad at your dog. And it's all just because your dog just simply just isn't in shape. You know, use me for an example. I am not, I'm fluffy. You know, I am not, uh, I don't have six pack abs, nothing like that. I walk all day long today. This is the first time I've sat down since six 30 this morning. I didn't even eat lunch today. Um, so by me doing that, I walk all day long, walk, 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 walk. I, I would break a Fitbit if I put it on, but if you expect me to run from here to my mailbox, which isn't even, even is like 300 yards, you'd be calling the ambulance because I'll tip over dead. I cannot run. I am not in shape. I'm not conditioned to run, but I can walk from here to Texas. Does that make sense? So we do, you got to put your dog in that position in the off season so it can control it and maintain it throughout that hunting season. Yeah, total sense. It's a great analogy. Um, I want you to start getting in a little bit better shape though, Andrew, since you're going to be on more episodes <laughs> of the foul life. <laughs> I don't yeah, think, I, I don't think you're in bad shape, but the way you it's describe the, yourself, a bush, uh, bush light gets me. I thought bush latte <laughs> was a low caloric beer. Yep, we uh, everybody drinks bush light around these parts. Do you drink it almost every day? Oh yeah, absolutely. Really? Do you see what I deal with on a daily basis? Twenty six dogs. That's how you stay sane. I was kidding. <laughs> I thought your girlfriend was there to help. You know, keep you sane. Uh, she runs the whole puppy puppy breeding business. Yeah, so she she takes care of all that now. Nice. But uh, yeah, she she's a huge help. I cannot diss her one bit. No, I, I don't drink every day, but. Sometimes I think I should, but <laughs> you got to get yeah, a, dog, a, lot of, a lot of people ask, how do you do it? What do you, why do you, why do you like, how do you, how do you stay sane? I, I always laugh and say bush light, but the real reason is, is, you know, it's, I accepted the fact that they're young dogs. They're not going to know the, the first time they go out hunting. The, the, the first, when you get a, an eight month old dog and it's all, you just did your intermediate, it's force fetch, it's trained. We did everything that we can to get them to bring back the duck, you know, and do all that. Us trainers, I don't care what trainer you are, you cannot simulate a real-life duck coming into the decoys, correct? We cannot simulate 10 mallards landing into the decoys. That's impossible to do in a training scenario. We can get pretty close, um, but that just that just throws your dog right off from that point. You know, you got to build into that. So a lot of people get frustrated. Oh, this dog just, just I don't like it because it's it's not, it didn't do good its first year. It's its first year, man. You got nine other years to just hunt it more than all you don't even have to train just just take it out and let it see it in action and the dogs half the dogs just learn just from doing that you know just you gotta be patient with those young dogs build up their confidence and the last thing to do is get mad literally just you know obviously you get frustrated whatever i bite my tongue all day long uh but you just gotta back up you gotta realize that they're not a one-year-old kid you know take a one-year-old kid and throw it on the toilet obviously it's not going to work same thing with your dogs. You got to 
train them, condition them. And it's just year after year after year repetition, you know, and everybody says it's from three to nine is their prime time. Literally when their dog turns three years, if you hunt it those first two years, you did everything you can to help it out. That dog is just going to be a robot when it turns three and hits the field. Yeah. And I think that, um, when you start thinking about what expectations are from a handler, from a dog owner, you got to be realistic. Um, I've seen the the most qualified master hunter, hunter retriever champions make mistakes. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. caught a lot of balls that were going over the fence, but I've also seen him drop, you know, just a pop fly. The best in the world make mistakes, no matter what level. You hear people all the time, you shouldn't be making mistakes like that if you're in the major leagues. Shut up. (laughs) Of course you can. They're still human. Mistakes are going to happen. Mistakes are going to happen. So you have to get that mindset and I've gotten better at it too. And it comes with patience, man. It comes with with trust and knowing that dog and falling in love with that dog and, and knowing that he or she is giving you their all you can, if they're not cutting corners, dogs don't cut corners, labs and and duck dogs. They, they do not cut corners. They aim to please from the time they open their eyes to the time you put them back in the kennel to go to sleep at night and get ready for the hunt the next day or the training session the next day or the conditioning session. And they're aiming to please. That's why they're always looking at you with those big eyes and that tongue out wanting more because they want you to be <laughs> yeah. happy with them and they want you to love on them. So patience is key. Communication is key. Um, and expectations, keeping them realistic is key, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, just keep working them and call your local trainer, get help. Uh, uh, well, I just thought of this now, but my favorite moment with slash last fall, uh, I think I told you this like, on the phone, but, uh, slash we were uh we were shooting uh teal we had a bunch of teal around and uh early season that's all that was around and i was like this is going to be perfect for slash you know get them out there get some handling in get a bunch of retrieves in and we shot four teal i think and then we sailed one not not far 100 yards maybe and we sailed that one so i sent them on a blind retrieve and as he was swimming to, to that teal, he was doing everything great. A flock of coot come swimming in, okay? So they come they come swimming in. I look at my buddy, and I go, oh, darn it. Slash was doing so great. Now he's going to get distracted by this live bird. I don't want to confuse him. I don't want to blow him up. Um, but I did. I just, I'm like, well, I got, let's, let's see if the training stuck. So I blew my whistle, and he, he locked on. He started swimming towards those, those ducks. So I hit my whistle. And slash boom on a dime spins around. I gave him a right hand cast and he spun right and he went and picked up that dead duck and did not pay any attention to those coot after he he looked at me and I took control. But that's that's hours of training. That's not just me leaving him on the couch all year long and then getting him out right before we go season. That was his first hunt of the year was um, this last year. Um, that was his first hunt from the year prior. And he absolutely aced it. My buddy looks at me and he goes, that was the coolest. I don't care if we shoot any more ducks. That was the coolest thing that he locked onto those uh, mud ducks and he, he thought he was going after them. And I stopped him and he took control and I, he didn't even fight me. Didn't even buck, didn't even try to go back. I didn't have to restop him. Nothing. He literally took the cast and went right to that dead teal that we had. And he brought it back and you bet. I, I didn't, I didn't, I, you, I got him right back in the boat and I petted him up and I threw him, I re-threw him that teal just out in the water just for a fun retrieve, just to let him know how excited and how happy I was that he just did that. And that's just him having confidence in me. Do you see something special in the dog? Um, you've trained a lot of dogs in 12 years. 
Is he special? I know he's got the genetics. You've already educated us on that. Is he above or is he ahead of where most dogs are at this age? Is he average? Is he normal? Does he have the ability to go on to a hunt test career, an SRS career, a, a hunter retriever champion, or a master hunter career? Would you like to see all of that happening with this dog? And does he have the potential for that at this two year this two year mark in his career? Oh, absolutely. You know, Slash, I think, would do phenomenal at hunting hunt tests and and all that stuff. He uh, you know, but is is he your your four-time grandmaster hunting champion dog yeah if you put the training into it uh but you know he's he's, he's he's an average dog but what i love about slash is this what makes him above being average is he he has the confidence in you it doesn't matter if i'm handling him or if a but if a different trainer here is handling him he will stop and look and pay attention and focus because he has the heart and desire to want to go get that retrieve and he knows if he doesn't get it from us and he knows it's a blind, he knows that we'll get it to him, he's going to get that reward. And that's what makes him a damn good dog to me, is that want, that love, that drive. So he's not average, because you just said he's an average dog, but then you said what makes him above <laughs> average. Right, but I don't want to you know, make him sound like he's the best dog in the world. He's not. There's dogs that are 10 times better than him. I'll be the first one to say it. But for what he does and what we're looking for, I mean, he's 100%. He's above average then for that aspect. I like he's, it. But what I love about Slash is we have uh, we have five dogs. Yes, I know that's a lot of dogs to have in your house. That's including Slash. Slash is by far the best house dog. He just literally lays on his back with his feet up in there on the couch watching TV, and he, you don't even know he's there. The best house dog. Then as soon as you go outside, if you have if you have something laying around, he will he has to have something in his mouth all the time, running around the yard. He won't eat it. He won't destroy it. But he has to have something in his mouth all the time. That's that's a good thing to have. You know, he he want he has he has that retrieving desire where he wants to constantly be retrieving, and that's what I love about him. Is he's just easy going. He, he has that light switch off in the house where you can turn him off, and he'll just be lazy. But then as soon as you get him on the field and get him working, he's like shaking, like let me go, let me go, let me after it. And that's what I love about him. I love it. I love hearing it. And he loves you, Canuba. Oh yeah. You don't miss a meal. You know yeah, what I. You, you know what I love. You know what I love to eat, Andrew. What's that? You know what I love to eat, and I don't think I've seen a cooler come in here in a minute. You canceled your trip out here on purpose because you knew what oh, I was. Yeah. You know what I was going to ask want, you for. You want. You want some walleye. What's the deal, bro? You guys had a great walleye season up there. Yeah, but uh, I didn't have a great season. We. Uh, we. Uh, I didn't even. I didn't hit the ice once this winter. I did Are you not serious? get out. I, yep, I'm dead serious. I feel terrible. Uh, but our kennel has been, you know, this is all great things, but our kennel has been full. And with daylight and everything, and by the time I got done training, like I was, you know, you're tired by the time you're done doing email, phone calls, all that stuff, you know, to get out to the lake, I just, I never did it. I uh, I kicked myself. The fish house stayed in the shed all I, I, well, I, I got out one time, early ice. And uh, I didn't catch a fish. So you're telling me you got no walleye in your freezer? Oh, we got walleye from dad and everybody, but <laughs> my so dad need, did good. So I need to text your dad. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, we can. Uh, well, we got our uh, uh, Lake Erie trip. That'll be when is that? That'll be coming up, and that's where we'll have a bunch of walleye. So we'll have to get you some. Hopefully. I could. I could really use some. Mm. What about crappie? 
I could eat crappie okay. right now. Send me all the crappie you catch. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll try to get you some crappie for sure. That's easy. That's easy. Right now we have the, the secret X that we, we carp shoot and we went carp shooting the other night and we found, uh, we found our honey holes back. So we're excited to go try that out. Well, can you please get me some and do it right? Do it, do it honest, do it legally. Um, <laughs> drive them over like here. <laughs> yeah. I just, just I, Hey, look, I eat wild, I eat wild fish. I like wild fish. I love walleye and I love crappie. And yeah, I just seen the other day. What were, what were you eating from Alaska? Halibut. Halibut. I was jealous. I seen that. Uh, the other day I did a recipe with, uh, have you bought the new provider, the new provider rubs yet, Andrew? I have not. I just got the link that you sent me and, uh, that's my fault, but we just gutted our, we gutted our house and, uh, we finally just got the flooring in and the cabinets. And so as soon as my house is done, it's, it's coming. I did a recipe the other day with, uh, with striper, striped bass. And, uh, one of our rubs called the spawn. And I'm talking like amazing fish, no breading, just a tiny, tiny bit of oil, uh, butter and this rub. And it was on, so I could use those crop. I'm doing like this, like this carnivore diet kind of deal, just all meat and fish and, um, a tiny, tiny, you're not supposed to eat vegetables, but I've been adding in a little bit of art or, uh, a little bit of, um, shit i don't even know maybe sometimes a tiny bit of avocado or something different just to keep it keep myself it, sane but you're allowed to eat dairy fish and meat and um okay. and uh if you can get me some crappie walleye you know i like those flaky fishes but yeah man i appreciate the podcast thanks for all the insight you can nuba i know loves having andrew and his girlfriend and the entire team at wild acre kennels in minnesota the land of ten thousand lakes the land of crappie the land of walleye the land of the fish of ten thousand casts have you ever caught one of what a walleye no the fish of ten thousand casts oh no you've <laughs> never heard of that fish i've never even heard of that andrew you're from minnesota what is the uh, most popular a, fish up there that people talk about catching with outfitters up there? Oh, walleye and birch. No. Yes, it is. No, the big Everybody one. The big one. The circle eights at the boat. I'm giving you every hint that I can. You lost me. I'm confused. Are you serious? Yep. Andrew, what what I'm other what other what other? I think Minnesota is like the main state for them. I'm trying to give you every hint that I can. Yeah, I know. I feel like a dum-dum right now, but... You do figure eights at the boat I'm not a fisherman. If you want me to take you on a fishing trip, you would that would be the dumbest phone call you can make. I am not a fisherman, but you have me stumped because I do like... I like crappie fishing. That's... I, I don't know why, but I'm... That's my favorite. But, no, you, you have me stumped, man. Okay, well, maybe I'm wrong because I'm not from the area, but when I go to Minnesota, when I'm up there, like the number one fish that we... I mean, because we've hammered the walleyes all over the different waters up there the crappie um in the perch but it's always the musky that everybody talks Mus about oh that you got to fish northern so minute yeah you're up in northern minnesota yeah i'm southern minnesota that's why i was confused we have musky fishing that's huge up north yeah they call it the fish of ten thousand casts they're so hard that's to the get first i've ever heard that Oh, really? i've never heard that one maybe i'm wrong on that but too it, maybe. but it makes sense because you might they're hard to catch what else, Andrew? You got anything? To, what's the website? WildAcreKennels.com? 
correct. On Instagram. At Wild- yep. Everything Wild Acre Kennels, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, check us out. Like, like us up. We've been trying our hardest to um, our advertising and photography. Uh, Raylan does a nice job with it all, so we can't. Hey, you guys are we're doing it. You guys are doing great. Do our best. Well, I'm proud of what you're yeah. doing and what you're building, buddy. Congratulations on the success. Tell Ray Lynn hello. I know she tags us in a bunch of stuff. Tell her thanks for the support of all what we're doing. Tell her to get some of those provider rubs. Oh, yeah, that's ready on our notes. That's on our, that's on our notes. It's just we have we, – we, we just got our stove back in our kitchen. It's been a month and a half without a stove. So the Trager, the Trager has been a lifesaver, but even did that – Did you call, did you call it a Trager? Hey, Trager. Yep. <laughs> You call or it northern tr- accents. Northern accents up here. See, most people I know from Canada call it a trigger. A trigger? Yeah, trigger. Come get on that trigger. But anyway, buddy, thanks for everything. Um, we will be seeing each other soon. We'll figure out a trip here sooner than later. I wish Slash would have been in the room with you so I could say hello to my man next Slash time. Slash is running. He's he's uh, Slash uh, running him right now with Kai and uh, Quill, our new British dog from Ireland, and then. Uh, Crank and Jaeger. <laughs> nice. All right. We'll give him a pet on the head. Tell her hello for me. Another episode of Yukonuba's Duck Dogs Foul Life Podcast Series brought to you by our friends and family at Yukonuba. High performance dog food, the nutrition, the diet. Trust us. Trust Andrew. Trust Brad Arrington. We ain't going to lie to you. It's a night and day difference of any other dog food. Let's take care of our duck dogs, our pets, our soccer mom dogs, I call them, just because. I watched so many moms walk into the pet store when I was doing some focus groups and watch their buying habits. And it's amazing how many of the ones I know are feeding Yukonuba now. And I love that, that these pet owners that just have a puppy running around in the Astrovan in the backyard or a three-year-old or a five-year-old loving Yukonuba. And it's working for all of us around the country so thank you for all the support of Yukonuba. Thank you, Yukonuba, for supporting the culture of the American outdoorsman, the hunter, the fisher, the gatherer, the provider. I'm Chad Belding for Andrew at Wild Acre Kennels. Y'all notice how I haven't even tried to say his last name, but you can all look that up. Contact him, Wild Acre Kennels in Minnesota. He does a hell of a job with training, conditioning, everything for obedience to getting your duck dog ready for a great career. Tom, Jake, hit that button. This is 2AM Logic. The song is called My Foul Life.